0: It was my junior year in high school, and I called my friend Misty to tell her that I had found a youth group in the town where I had just moved. It was an Assembly of God youth group, I said, and it was just like church camp where she and I attended in the summers. The kids were all excited about God, the music felt like a rock concert, the pastor drove a black Ford Mustang and had tattoos. An assembly of God? Misty interrupted me, incredulity in her voice. Now understand that at the time, denominations meant exactly nothing to me. I was about as close to a novice to institutional Christianity as someone could be while growing up in the American Midwest. Why? What's wrong with the assembly of God, I asked, a little stung. Misty audibly scoffed. "'They speak in tongues,' she said. "'No, they don't,' I cried. "'They do, Amber, all of them do.' "'I said, I've never heard it.' "'I bet you have,' she said. "'When they pray, do you hear people talking?' "'I remembered the quiet whispers that would flood the room "'during the long stretches of extemporaneous prayer.' Yes, I said, but that doesn't mean they're speaking in tongues. They're just praying out loud. People do that. No, she said, they're speaking in tongues. Next time it happens, focus in on one of the voices around you and listen to what's being said. I went to church very upset uh, on that Sunday and caught the pastor during coffee hour. This was long before I learned the lesson to never ask anything important of a pastor during coffee hour. (laughs) One of my friends told me that the assemblies of God believe in speaking in tongues, I said, and now the tone of incredulity was my own. That's not true, is it? The pastor winced a little and gently explained that this was indeed true— that they believed that tongues was a gift of the Holy Spirit. He pointed me to the relevant passages in scripture as I tried to contain the shock on my face. Do you speak in tongues? I asked finally, this balding, weary-looking man who had so quickly become a beacon of guidance in my search for God. Yes, I do, he said. I left astounded. And a little ashamed, and determined to understand this new information about the faith that I sought. Now, in the Bible, tongues comes up only in a handful of places. The subject gets the most airtime in Paul's letter to the Corinth. Folks there seem to have the same idea about tongues as my Pentecostal friends did, it was seen as a gift of heavenly language. So when I asked my evangelical friends what it was like to speak in tongues, they said it was something like giving up control of your mouth so God could speak through it, like, like puppeteering or something. So I stood slack-jawed and earnest through more services than I can count, hoping to receive a gift that never came The Corinthians were spiritual athletes who loved to display the trappings of religious achievement as well. I've talked to you about them a little bit. And Paul writes and tells them in his typical Paul way that he's glad he speaks in tongues more than any of them while he's by himself. Not to brag, he says. But then he says it's better to speak one intelligible word than a million in a language no one understands. The passage we heard today from Acts, though, offers a very different picture from the ecstatic speech I would eventually hear many times in the uh, AG, as we called it. There wasn't one language being spoken, no heavenly language. It was the languages were all languages of the earth, many of them. Tongues was a gift of the Holy Spirit here, meant to bring greater understanding. In my years in Pentecostal circles, never did I hear someone spontaneously begin to preach the good news in Spanish or Finnish or Lithuanian. For me, now, the most interesting way to read this story is in conjunction with the Genesis passage we chose for this morning. You all know the story of the Tower of Babel, right? The legend goes that until that time in the world, everyone spoke one language, no division. Humanity decides to build a tower to reach the heavens that we might reach the stature of the gods. The wild part of this story is that we weren't Icarus falling back to earth from our own hubris. We were actually successful, too successful. And God had to stop us by making us unintelligible to one another. And so, boys and girls, that's where we get English and Spanish and Finnish and Lithuanian. I don't know how much I buy into the theology of a God who is threatened by our advancement, But I do connect absolutely with the idea that the enormous potential of humankind can be exercised in the pursuit of individual greed and power, and that when we do so, it divides us one from another at the most basic level of our common life. That is a true story to me. The story from Acts clearly wants to say something about the ancient story of Babel. Notice there that we read that the power of Pentecost was not an individual spiritual experience, no good impression on onlookers with your piety. It wasn't even the gift of a restored language, which is what you might expect from a story meant to answer the story of Babel. It was that outsiders were being brought in, in their own words, in their own terms. Let's be honest uh, here this morning that an in-depth exploration of the subject of tongues is probably the last thing a room full of orderly and understated Episcopalians need, Um, and I like that about us. But whenever it's easy for someone like me to shrug off a story from the Bible especially as found one as foundational as this one is from Acts, uh, to our faith. I wonder in what way I'm tempted to do this because I want to avoid the harder task that it's calling me to. Do I use my gifts to build that bridge to where the Holy Spirit is guiding us? Am I open to receiving the sounds of someone's life who is utterly Unlike my own. At the heart of the Babel story is the idea that we can become gods. And Christianity agreed. It said that divinity lays in every human heart, buried there under layers of excess, obscured by sin, scuffed by the troubles of the world, but irremovably there. And both agree that when we use this enormous potential in the exercise of greed and the pursuit of power that we become ever more isolated and unintelligible to anyone but ourselves. But Acts wants us to see that the way forward, it's not adherence to some pure ideal of heavenly achievement that only a few people receive. It is not, you know, saying you're in a heavenly country, so speak the heavenly language. It's not rebuilding the tower. Acts says that a spirit of power will come upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit, apparently, is nothing less extraordinary than the gift of beginning to understand your utterly common neighbor.